So welcome to the MQ Open Mind podcast. So I'm Rory O'Connor, and we also have... Craig Ferryman. Hi. And Craig and I are really excited to bring you this brand new podcast. And over the coming weeks, we're hoping to really discuss lots of issues around mental health and well-being and have really interesting discussions with people who have their own challenges and experiences of mental health, as we all do, but people from all different walks of life. So what Craig and I are hoping to do in this very, this mini episode is tell you something about who we are and our plans beyond what I've just said for our podcast. So Craig, do you want to kick us off with other issues we're hoping to cover? I guess really with this podcast, what I'd love is for people to understand a little bit more about mental health research, a little bit more about um, what MQ does, and I think fundamentally help end stigmas. Because yeah. a lot of these stereotypes and stigmas that have been going around for so many years affect so many people. You know, the whole stereotype about going to a doctor and stuff like that. You just want to have an opportunity to help people. And that's what this podcast is all about. Yeah, no, it's a nice, succinct way of, of putting summarizing what we're hoping we're hoping to achieve and, and and I think things will evolve as we try things and some things will work better than others but it's all about having an informal conversation about obviously a really really important topic so maybe then let's begin then Craig mm-hmm. so obviously I know you obviously through our, our links with MQ so so maybe can you tell us a bit about who you are and and maybe what brought you to um, join MQ it's such a difficult question uh, answering about yourself but what I would say is uh, I'm a filmmaker. I love making um, movies. I love writing movies. I love watching movies. And um, I guess what brought me to MQ, I have a background of psychology, not as extensive as yours, of course. I've just, <laughs> I've only got a bachelor's, um, but I've always loved psychology. I've always loved um, understanding about people, uh, understanding about like mental health. And MQ is the only organization that is spending so much money on understanding why, uh, understanding mental illness, as opposed to just, oh, you know, has to how to improve your mental health. It's that question why is the kind of, you know, it's the nerdy side of, uh, of mental health. And I love that. Yeah, no, I think also, I think you're, you have the nail on the head with regard to MQ. It's the only dedicated mental health research charity in the UK, but crucially, not only are we trying to advance our understanding and treatment of mental illness and mental health problems, but what's so important to the mission of MQ is getting that message out there. So we we reach the, the, the research evidence, the best quality research evidence, that the best quality knowledge and experience of people with lived experience of mental health mm-hmm. gets out there. And, and indeed all the work that we do at MQ it's in collaboration. We're all partners in research, and those partners include researchers like me, policy people at the policy and grant-making end like you, but crucially at the heart of everything is people who've lived the experience because it's people's stories of lived experience we're hoping to convey in some of the episodes moving forward. And so I think I'm, I'm really excited about that end of things. But can I ask you one quick question? When you're, you're a film person, so what's your genre? 
What's your favorite genre of film? I would say my favorite genre of film is is comedies. I love to laugh. I love you know making other people laugh. That's uh, I think uh, comedy is a great art form. I once worked in the cinema, and uh, they asked me. It was my first ever job. They asked me what my favorite movie was. I just thought it was just a normal question. I put down Dumb and Dumber. That's my favorite movie. <laughs> Little did I know is that they were going to stick uh, my favorite movie on my name badge. So it oh. just said Craig Dumb and Dumber. So oh. every time I'd serve someone, they'd be like, why does it say Dumb and Dumber? It's like, don't, don't. It's just no and did you get it changed? No, because that's my favorite movie. Why would I get it changed? <laughs> yeah, I, I, have, I have an awful admission to make. I've never seen it. I hope you know. No, I don't know why I haven't actually, because I know everybody raves about it. And it's actually lots of people's favourite movie. Yeah. Um, but I don't know why I haven't seen it. What year did it come out? 94. Yeah, so no, because I, yeah, so I don't know why I didn't see it. I'm just thinking what I was doing in 1994. What I was doing, you talk about your bachelor's degree. So I think I was just finishing my bachelor's degree in 1994. And I don't want to know what you were doing or <laughs> whatever age you were. Obviously, <laughs> Um, <laughs> I could <like>, say, but <laughs> <laughs> so here. So getting back to so, uh, the podcast, and yeah, so that's what we mean. So I've been doing research into suicide and, and the broader mental health sphere for the for the last twenty five years, and and as you know, I've worked uh, with MQ over a number of years, and I'm a member of the MQ Science Council. But I think what I've always been so impressed about by MQ since I first came in contact with them was that the really the people who work at MQ really care about the research. And I'm not saying that other grant bodies don't, but I the MQ funded um, a study we did a few years ago on safety planning. And it's a way of trying to test out ways in which we can keep people who are suicidal safe. And that's really what I've been I've spent the last 25 years just trying to understand suicide risk and then what we can do to hopefully help those who are most most vulnerable. But what really struck me about MQ is that even though it was a relatively small grant, that the personal touch you got with working with colleagues in MQ, and that's been a very clear ever since. And as I say, I'm now involved in different ways with MQ and, and the research programs. And and I think that's what we're, we're trying to do, I think, with this podcast as well as have a bring a personal touch to it is try to convey, in some cases, really difficult stories, people's difficult stories um, of, of anguish, of, of pain, of, of mental distress and, and mental illness more broadly, but in a way which is human and, and hopefully we'll, tr we'll try and do that. Well, that's, that's our aspiration, isn't it, Craig? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a big it's a big task, but you know I think we're the two that can do it. Yeah, and yeah, and we can. We will be able to do it, <laughs> and I think we'll. And but hopefully we'll 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 both learn as well. It's like about learning from each other and from our guests, and mm -hmm. and that um, and, and we'll cover a lot of topics. We'll cover I, over the course. Our plan is to cover um, depression, uh, um, depression, suicide, grief, um, loneliness. Uh, I mean, there's a few of the initial topics that we're, we're planning to cover, and it'll go beyond that. And and I think, yeah, just getting that message out there that what we need to do is talk more about mental health. And as somebody who's been involved in this area for so long, like for 25 years, more than 25 years, maybe I think it is, um, but it's just seen the change in the focus. And that now, like, 
10 years ago, we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. Or actually, no, probably we wouldn't be doing this podcast. It's still that stigma. Yeah. And although stigma still remains, it is being, it's been, it's been addressed and hopefully will continually continue to be um, knocked down. But we've a long, a long road ahead still. And hopefully we'll be able to do that is have these, having these conversations with lots of people from a whole range of backgrounds will help us do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you look after your, your own mental health? Well, so, uh, that's a great question and something I've thought about um, pretty recently, actually. I, um, last year, I, I wrote a book on, on suicide called When It's Darkest. Um, it's a book on trying to understand and pre- help people prevent suicide. And actually, and it, and it was probably, a, it was written during the pandemic. And, and actually, in that period, it took me about, well, I wrote the book, um, broadly speaking, over nine months, I think it was, of the pandemic. But not nine months. You'll see why I've brought this up in a second, I hope. But in, in those nine months of writing the book, what I was trying to do was bring together um, my professional knowledge of mental health and well-being and suicide risk um, in this book together with people's stories, a sort of personal touch. But during the course of those, that, that, those nine months, and even before that, actually, I was trying to work out how I would do this in a way which would be engaging for people and help tell people's stories. And so what I what it made me do was reflect on issues around, well, actually, how, how do I manage my mental health and, and, and my own mental health and well-being? Because what, what I then decided to do with the book was try to bring all of that together, but also to be authentic, to provide stuff about what I do, my own mental health and my own experience of grief and loss to suicide. And so I had to think long and hard for writing the book about how what I do to protect myself and and of course um a lot of it is to have a close knit circle of friends and and family who i can talk to because obviously every day or not obviously but every single day i'm thinking about suicide mm-hmm. to some degree either in a research com- capacity or 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 other people i know who are obviously struggling or or whatever it may be but it, literally i don't think a day goes by when and probably for the last 25 years that I haven't been thinking about suicide. Mm-hmm. And so I, so I have thought about really making sure I'm trying to do more to protect and bolster my own mental health. And that is by talking to friends and, and family. And because it's something when I started out in this field in the 1990s, I mean, I sort of thought any 21 year old as I was probably at that stage, you're invincible. I don't need to do anything about it. I can my mental health wasn't a priority for me. Um, and I see one thing that so this reason I'm saying this because I, I write about this in, in the book and I remember even thinking about one of the first things that my mother said to me when I got into the field of suicide research was, oh my God, you're not going to kill yourself, are you? Because she was petrified that because I'm involved in this topic, I would, become, I would find it difficult to, um, well, in psychological terms, you might describe it as decenter, but just to keep a distance. And so over those intervening years, and, and again, really, I've really thought about it much more recently is so I, family and friends and then so I use that a lot but in my early 40s I'm 48 now um, and and when I was in the early 40s I really really did struggle and but I'd never reached out for help before I'd never beyond that close-knit family or friends but then I um, but I really was I felt really empty and um, I spent all my life just focused on my career and just driving that those sorts of things forward and 
so I actually reached out, um, I think it was 42 May, May of, what year was that? Would have been 2001, 2002, no, I can't do the maths. No, whatever. No, no, 2013 it must have been. Whatever the maths are, five or six years ago, six years ago, I can't, even, I can't do the maths. So six years ago, and um, and started seeing a therapist, and that has really helped me um, to sort of manage my my own mental health and also accept who I am and um, I'm pretty perfectionistic and it's just accept that actually it's perfectly okay to um, not to be okay and it's perfectly okay not uh, to have to be nobody's perfect type thing yeah and then the other bit and then that, and my rant is over is um, <laughs> is I play tennis and that's so important for my mental health as well so I play tennis as much as I can and so that because when I'm on the tennis court um nothing else gets in because i have to really focus so there's probably those three things obviously therapy family and friends and and tennis and actually just two weeks ago there no yeah i've really bad um uh ankle injury so i can't play tennis at the moment so i'm actually i'm, I'm really i'm needing need needing something to help me but hopefully in two weeks time i'll be back playing again but i've really found even just two two and a half weeks really difficult not being able to exercise in the way they normally do because I can't run either because I run as well but tennis is the real thing anyway that was a bit of a rant about how I <laughs> look after my mental health and what I do so maybe then I'll reflect and go back to you what how, how do you look after your mental health so yeah for my mental health what I do is I guess you know being a fan of movies just just watching a whole bunch I've just finished a, a marathon of watching 50 movies in in 50 days it's, wow. it's my third year in a row of me doing this um and just being surrounded in that uh, in the art the different stories and stuff like that that really helps me um another thing is playing video games i think for my answers it, it kind of it, it exposes the fact that i'm very much an, an introvert and less uh, <laughs> of, a, of an extrovert being around like other people because just for me having my own space um being alone I is when I feel the strongest to be honest so just having that time of I would love to you know hang out with my friends and my family but I also need that alone time mm -hmm. and with that alone time is where I feel like I'm really able to to be myself come into my own and um, really process things because this for me there always feels like there's so much noise happening and um, especially just day to day, especially living in London, there's always something happening. Whereas when I can like shut my door, just, you know, sometimes I'm not even listening to anything, not listening to music or watching anything. Just being alone is, is, um, I feel re-energized to be honest. Mm -hmm. No, because no, I, I think we undervalue quietness, I think at times. And, um, and no, it's something I really, even though I'm probably people would, I would think assume I'm an extrovert. I suppose I definitely have extrovert qualities, but I do like downtime in my own space to just, yeah, process. Or you described it obviously as re-energizing. Um, have you read Susan Cain's book Quiet? You know, a friend of mine has, and he told me I should read it. Yes, yeah. he's oh, he's very much in learning about because he's an introvert as well. We actually did the Myers-Briggs test and got exactly the same score, <laughs> <laughs> which explains a lot. But yeah. he has done so much more research and study in, in being 
an introvert, whereas I've just just practiced being an introvert, just being by myself. <laughs> no, because it's a great book. And actually, um, Susan Kane has just published, I think it's her second book. I think Quiet was her first book. And then she's just published um, this week uh, her new book, which is number one bestseller in the New York Times called Bittersweet. And actually, um, I've started listening to it on an audio book just last night. And it's another great book, but it's looking at, it's an address mom. So she was saying what the impetus behind the book was that she's always loved listening to sad music and taking sort of pleasure out of listening to sad music. And I'm the same, actually. I, and I, 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 I spent a lot of time listening to sad music and I, I don't know, resonate. I don't know what the word is. Um, but, but it's a great, I mean, thus far it's brilliant because this, so she, it's described as this idea of being bittersweet, everything's bittersweet. And that, uh, and so she's now going to take us on a journey of I think, the science and the practice and well-being and people's journeys. But yeah, so it's it's on the back of quiet and quiet also was huge. I think it also was a number one, number, the New York Times number one bestseller as well. And incredible. But yeah, so anyway, so you, the I think the quietness is underrated. Very much so. Yeah, mm. especially when in society, um, extroverts are um, looked as the ideal, but yeah. you should be out with your friends and be open and, um, you know, loud and stuff. Whereas, you know, like the book, I like to be quiet sometimes. <laughs> exactly. But there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Again, uh, this is all about ending stigmas, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We're all, it's all recognized. We're all different. We're all individual. Mm. And um, yeah, and it's understanding everybody's mental health and everybody's needs. Are different and so hopefully we'll, we'll touch on lots of these issues in the coming weeks ahead now i'm really really excited um to do this together with you craig it'll be, it'll be great fun it's very different from my day job as a um professor of of health psychology at the university of glasgow and so as i say most of my days spent doing well, doing research supervising um students and other staff and it's fantastically rewarding but everything one of the things that I've always been passionate about since I got into mental health research and suicide prevention research is, is getting that message out there, as I've said already, is getting those messages out there to the people who need to hear them. And that could be people, governments, politicians, people who are struggling themselves, clinicians, but we all, we all have a stake in mental health. And hopefully we'll, over the coming weeks, we'll be able to um, have some really interesting conversations, but hopefully, um, share a laugh as well as yeah. some more difficult moments as well and that's what it's about is having these real life conversations which have light and shade and a bit like maybe Susan Cain talks about this idea of bittersweet is that nothing's just one thing or the other and that's what life's about and it's trying to hopefully share people's stories um, as well as our own as well as the research as well as the great work that MQ does. Absolutely that sounds like a great plan if you could talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to them? My 18-year-old self. Um, or 16. Or 16, whatever. Okay, as in my younger self. I think one of the things I've I struggled with all my life is I've just I've spent my life trying to please other people and that um, I'm thinking that I'm always letting other people down. And I've always been too worried about, too concerned about what other people think about me. And so I tell my 18-year-old self, just be yourself, right? Accept who you are and um, 
Yeah, so just just be yourself, and it and it. You need you need to love yourself before others will love you in a way. So, and start just knowing that to be okay, and that you're, and you'll be fine, and and to yeah, to just yeah, be more self accepting of who you are, and and not and just accept that. And so I think that's what I've definitely learned on the intervening. Well, it's the same forty eight now, so thirty years since I've been eighteen. And just being just being more relaxed about who you are. What would you what would you tell your 16 or 18 year old self? Uh, I would say that it, it always gets better and a lot of it doesn't matter, to be honest. Because when I think about some of the issues that when I was like 16, 18, about like you know, dating, you know, this person's with that person and, you know, you have to look a certain way or, you know, you have to act a certain way. It just, all of it, it just doesn't matter. And you just end up being a, per, a version of yourself that, you know, when you look back, you're like, I don't even know who that was, really. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I have yeah. more in common with my, the youngest version of myself, like a primary school, than I do <laughs> that when I was in like secondary school. Secondary school was a complete different person. But I think a little bit just on just on that question though, because our teens are so challenged. I mean, I, yeah. and we know from all the research now, the mental health research as well, is that those adolescent years um, is when you see the biggest increase in mental health problems. Through as we know, mental health problems are pretty rare before puberty, and then as you go through your mid to late teens, and um, that's when you that's when things really um, can be so difficult for people. And so, because you become so super sensitive to rejection and and uh, shame and all these other things as an adolescent, and it's just realizing that, as you say, that um, most things don't matter in that sense. Yeah. Keep the people you love close to you and treat people with respect, and but just be accept. It's trying to be a bit more accepting them as who you are, because as you say, things will get better. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully for most people, hopefully. they do. Yeah. No, I guess no. I'm really excited. So we've this is our our intro to getting to know us type brief podcast, and we look forward to hope hopefully people like you, everybody joining us um, in our journey and our discussions in the weeks and months ahead. So thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us very very soon. Thank you. Thank you, guys.